Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Learning with the Lion, a community read-through of the Gospel of Mark. Over the summer of 2023, members of the Ligonier community are coming together to walk through a 13-week exploration of Jesus' life, practicing reading the Bible together and asking what it means for everyday life. For more information, visit epiphanyligonier.org mark, where you can also sign up for our companion e-newsletter. It's really nice of Mark to start off his gospel by telling us what the goal is at the outset. There's no mystery here at all, in fact. The first verse of Mark's gospel tells it to us straight. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There it is. <laughs> this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Ta-da! No hidden secret knowledge you have to pay to find out. No bait-and-switch trap to take your money. No secret agendas. It's just the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One of the challenges we have living in 2023, however, is that we're pretty removed from the original context of Mark's gospel. We've had this book around for years, nearly 2,000 years, and language like Son of God and Gospel, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. We know what Bible language sounds like, and for many of us, when we hear Bible language, our brains just tune right out. The original readers of Mark's Gospel, though, would have heard that first line read aloud, and they would have felt the hair on the back of their neck begin to stick up. Their heart would jump into their throat. Their stomachs would fill with butterflies. That's because in the original context of Mark's gospel, these phrases weren't considered religious jargon per se. This was imperial language. This was king language. These were words of the Old Testament describing some of the most powerful men in the world. Men like Joseph, who served directly under the Pharaoh of Egypt. Men like David, who ruled as king over Israel and beyond. These words were even considered the language of the Roman emperor himself. You see, the word gospel meant, in Greek, good news. Whenever a king made a fantastic accomplishment, beating an opposing army might be one, or finishing a massive public works project, he would send messengers far and wide to share the good news with all his subjects. You may remember that the emperor of Rome, when Jesus was born, was called Caesar Augustus. Archaeologists have a stone from that era with an inscription on it when Augustus was the emperor. And it's absolutely wild to read it because it's, it's from the pagans, but it's full of bible language. Listen to how they described Augustus in their own time. Here's what they said. They said, Augustus was sent to us by providence to be the savior to benefit all mankind. Does that sound familiar? Augustus will end all the wars Augustus is filled with heavenly virtue. Augustus is a son of God. Not only this, he is himself a God. Augustus is so great that his birthday is good news. It is gospel for the whole world. Man, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't it sound Bible-ish? By talking about the good news of Jesus, the son of God, Mark wants you to hear from the very start. Jesus is not just a prophet or a miracle worker or a teacher. Jesus ranks in the same category as King David and Caesar Augustus. 
Mark begins by explaining that Jesus needs to be listed among these great kings and rulers of history. That's what he wants to tell you, that Jesus is king. Even if you're not a Greek person, no big deal. You can still get to the same place if you just read the passage, right? Our passage says a lot about Jesus, and you don't need to be an ancient Roman to understand it. Jesus is the one that John the Baptist prepared the way for. If you're going to prepare the way of the Lord, then logically, Jesus is Lord because John is preparing the way for him. Jesus is, in fact, a whole other level of holy and righteous than John the Baptist. If John the Baptist, who is this rural uh, prophet wearing camel hair and forging the earth for his food, if not even he, among the righteous of all of mankind, can untie Jesus' sandals, well, that really says what a big deal that Jesus is. Not only this, but God himself, God, the creator of the universe, parts the skies to proclaim that Jesus is his beloved son. And so if God parts the clouds to acknowledge Jesus as his son, however you split it, you're talking about divine royalty here. And then, of course, Jesus is tempted by Satan and comes out clean on the other side. The last person to be tempted like this by Satan was, of course, Eve and her husband, Adam. Notice how after succeeding the temptations, Jesus was cared for by wild animals and angels. That's weird, <laughs> unless you're a Disney princess, <laughs> or unless you understand that Jesus is reversing the curse of Eden. And as a result, he gets a little bit of taste of Eden, that Eden's serenity where the animals and, and nature and, and all of it lives in harmony together. That's what he experiences while he recovers. Adam and Eve are the first people of humanity, but Jesus succeeds where they fail. In Mark's eyes, whatever authority Adam and Eve had as the first humans, whatever clout they had, whatever they represented, well, all that belongs to Jesus now. And when Jesus finally does get to preach and teach, what does he want to talk about? Well, he wants to talk about a kingdom, a kingdom of God, which he will bring. This is, by the way, why artists throughout history have associated Mark's gospel with the regal and majestic lion. What better animal to associate with a gospel so concerned with Jesus' kingship? That's where we get our series name from. When we are learning from the lion, we are learning from Mark's gospel. And so in this 15 verses, this initial outset introduction of Mark's gospel, what really we're talking about is setting up Jesus as a sort of king. He's bigger than Satan. He's God's beloved son. The king foretold in the Old Testament he is a rival of Caesar himself. All that in 15 verses. He's a pretty talented writer to pull all of that off. Stay tuned. This theme will play itself out across the entirety of the gospel. This Sunday for the sermon, I'm going to do a deep dive into one part of our reading today. Specifically, I'm going to look at Jesus' baptism and the giant thumbs up that Jesus gets from his father at the beginning of his ministry. Spoiler alert, this scene will become very important later on in Mark's gospel, so it's worth your consideration and our consideration now. But in the meantime, enjoy your time reading through the first part of Mark chapter 1, and we'll see you on Sunday, if not sooner. Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.